scripture reading as something that we do, and there are great, wonderful, you know, through the Bible in a year type options or yearly plans. Maybe, maybe through the entire Bible is too much, and that's just really hard, and so you pick a through the New Testament in the year or whatever, whatever it might be. And, and with the new year is a great time to start some of those things. We're going we're gonna to look at some of that, but before we do, I'm, I'm going to save that to that section that I like to call the so what of the sermon. As we lead up to that, what does the Bible say about the reading of Scripture? What does the Bible say about these kinds of things? And thus, what are we going to take from that and what are we going to do? How do we read Scripture? So, you know, we have this tendency in society to, to make up our own plans and to do things our own way, let's first take a look at what the Bible has to say. Now, uh, last week, I, uh, I bit off a great big chunk, and I said, okay, this is, this is probably too much, and we went through a whole bunch of passages out of the, book of, or the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am this, and I am that, and I am, and we went through a bunch of passages, and we rushed through them. And that was, that was hard, and I didn't get to dig into those nearly as much as I would have liked. And so this week, we are only going to two passages, the one that we already read and the one in Nehemiah. And so we're, we're just going to dig into those two. But even as I was preparing and thinking on this one, I realized I bit off a huge chunk because there is so much in this idea of the reading of Scripture and, and what we're supposed to do and how do we do that and so many so what's, so many applications that I wanted to draw out. And, and I even got to the point where I, I said to my wife, you know, I look forward to going back to the Gospel of Mark because when we go through that, I've got a set amount and I know what I'm doing and whatever it says, that's what we're doing and that, that's it. And so I really love the expositional, the going passage by passage, just straight through verse by verse and, and working through all of those. But... Like I said, there are times in which we need to dig into a particular idea or a particular topic. And so that's what we're going to do. And uh, I, I, like I said, I think I might have bit off more than I can chew even on this one, but that's okay. We're going we're gonna to see what we can do with it. The first passage that we already read was in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. And in this, Paul is giving an instruction to his disciple, to one of his students, to a young man by the name of Timothy who is pastoring at a church. And he gives him this list of instructions. And, and we went through the, the book of 1 Timothy uh, this last year and dug into a lot of those and looked at a bunch of different things that Paul had commanded him and instructed him and was teaching him and, and a lot of explanations of why and things of that nature. Well, in, in this one, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, he gives one more instruction, one more command that Timothy is supposed to do. As the, as the pastor of that church, he tells him, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. So as we look at this idea of reading of Scripture... What is Paul telling Timothy to do, to pay attention to it, to give focus to it, to, to make that a key thing that he does? What? The public reading of Scripture. We have this tendency in American society to do everything myself, personally, individually, and yet here Paul is instructing 
This is to be a public reading of Scripture. Now, one of the reasons for that that makes a lot of sense is a cultural-based thing. In that time, in that era, not everyone could read. Reading uh, literacy was not a normal thing. And so someone would have to read it out to proclaim it, to declare it. But they also didn't each have their own individual copy of the scriptures. Now, how many of you have a copy of the Bible? How many of you have more than one copy? Like five or ten or who knows how many? I, I tried to count at one time, and uh, I've, I've got a bunch. And uh, we'll, we'll come back to that in a, in a little bit. But it's very easy for us today to individually read Scripture. And our society has this tendency to be very individualistic. And, and well, I'll do it by myself. And yet one of the things that Paul's saying is corporately, together, the church needs to give their focus, give their attention to the Scripture, to what it says. But not just to the scripture, what, is, what does he then tell him? To exhortation and to teaching. What, is, what does exhortation mean? Anybody know? Lifting up, okay. I heard something over here. Preaching, okay. To, uh, to exhort someone is to encourage them to do it. So not just that they hear it, but that they put it in practice. To encourage them to, to follow through on what they've heard, on what they've learned. And then also to teaching. When we, when we read through scripture, does, have you ever been reading through and come up with a bunch of questions? Like, okay, well, what does that mean? How, what, what am I supposed to do? With, what, what about, well, who is? And those kinds of questions are really, really good. But what Paul is telling Timothy is, you need to explain those things. You need to teach what that means. So that it's not just a, you hear it, go in one ear and out the other but that you understand it, and then you put it into practice. Now, this First Timothy, and really a lot of Paul's writing, is very much uh, directives. It's commands. It's instructions. Do this. Don't do that type of an idea. We have a tendency to think of the Old Testament in a very similar way, and yet we're going to be reading a passage where there's not a command, per se, that's given to us of what we need to do. We're going to be reading through in Nehemiah, and, and you can go ahead and start turning there. Nehemiah chapter 8, this is a narrative section. It's merely telling us what happened. Does that mean that there's nothing we can learn from it? You should be shaking your head right now. Because even the narrative sections, God inspired, and if you, if you recall some of the previous uh, verses that we've studied and memorized, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So how much of Scripture is profitable? All of it. So when we go to the Old Testament and we, we look at this narrative section that's, that's telling us what happened, there are principles and there are ideas that we can draw out from it. And we need to, we need to learn a lot of things from this passage. But we also recognize that it's not commanding us certain things that we have to do it this way. Now, why do I make a point out of that? Um... This section of Nehemiah is a section that I, I really like, and I've been excited about the possibility and the opportunity to preach through Nehemiah. Um, we're actually going to, to save that and make it our Wednesday night study when we get done with the one that we're currently going through. So we're going to dig through all of Nehemiah, and I'm, I'm already getting excited about that. 
But this one section, I have heard people take and say, oh, well, that's why you have to do this and you have to do that. You must have a lectern when you preach. Has anybody ever thought you have to have a pulpit when, you, when you're preaching? Well, that's not what this says. And so as we dig through Nehemiah, I want to I make sure that we understand this is telling us what happened and we learn principles and we draw understanding, we draw ideas from it, but it's not commanding us of a certain way that this has to happen. But what does God want us to do after, as a result of what we find in this? Well, let's go ahead and read it and then, um, then we'll talk about, well, what is going on? What, do, what lessons do we draw then from that? In Nehemiah chapter 8, it starts off, uh, I'm reading verses 1 through 8. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could, under, who, who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square which is in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which was made for that purpose. And beside him stood Mathathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaiah on his right hand and Pediah, and Mishalai, and Malachi, and Hashem, and Hashabadanah, Zechariah, and Mishalam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua and Bani, Sherebi, Jamin, Akbud, Shabbathai, <clears throat> Hodai, Manasseh, Kelatai, Ta, Azariah, Josabad, Hananah, Peliah, the Levites, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Okay, so in advance of these sermons, I hand out a, um, a pre-study guide that's supplemental. And I asked for you to briefly consider what is the context. So did, does anybody know what's the context? What's going on in the book of Nehemiah at this point? Okay. They're, they're in the process of rebuilding. And if you remember your Old Testament history, the Israelites had been in the land. They had, they had received God's blessing, and we had King David, and it was the golden era, and we had King Solomon who built the temple, and things were going great. And then the people didn't follow God. They disobeyed him. They went their own way. They did their own thing. And what had God promised would happen if the people rejected him and didn't follow him? That he was going to tear them down that he was going to destroy it, and that he was going to send them into captivity. Well, when God makes a promise, he follows through on it, doesn't he? They rejected him. <laughs> the amazing thing about the Old Testament, over 
and over and over again. God sent prophets and said, hey guys, you're going the wrong way. You're not doing the right thing. Come back. Go back to God. Repent. Follow him. And they didn't. Over and over and over again, they didn't. And so finally, God said, okay, I'm going to send the Babylonians to take you into captivity and you're going to be out of the land and I'm going to set things straight, but I will bring you back. And that's, the, that's what's happening here. See, even though God had promised, I'm going to punish you because you have failed to follow my law, he also said, I will bring you back because you are my chosen people. And so he started that previous to this passage. There were actually three different times in which God brought people of Israel back from Babylon. Yes, sir. God, God has made a lot of promises about Israel and about what he has in store and what he's going to do, and he will fulfill them all. There, there will come a day, because there are still some un, unfulfilled promises that God will finish out. He will ultimately fulfill all of those promises. Well, in this case, he brings them back in three different groups. And the first one comes back and they rebuild the temple. And then they begin to rebuild the city. And then here we get to this part and they have rebuilt the walls. They, they rebuilt the walls around. And there's, there's really some amazing things that go on with that. And like I said, I'm, I'm excited to study through the book of Nehemiah in its totality. But right now, the people have gathered together. And they've built things and there's this great revival. And they are starting to understand, hey, we went into captivity because of our own sin. Because we have rejected God and God has brought them back. And so in chapter 8, they, well, in, in chapter 7, they have assembled and they've given gifts and they've, they've done a lot of different things. Chapter 8, they all assemble in this square. It says that they gathered as one man at the square, which is in front of the water gate. Now, did anyone look up where, where that is or what's going on with that? Does anybody know where they assembled? So if, if you're familiar with the layout of Jerusalem, there's the Temple Mount, and then there are various gates that lead out of the city. And this is somewhere, it, they, they weren't really able to gather at the temple. It wasn't enough space. But it's near to the temple, probably on the east side, with an exit, there's a gate that goes out to the east of Jerusalem. Yes, sir? Southeast corner. Southeast corner. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you've, if you've got a map in the back of your, your Bible, there, it'll probably show you approximately where it is. And so there's this, this square, this area where they were all able to gather together. And so that's, that's what they get, did. They gathered together in front of the water gate. And so in this, this large area, kind of between the east gate of the temple and the city wall, where they would be able to, to assemble into a large group. And so they gather there. And what do, what do they do when they get there? What's, what's it say? Okay, they, they read the law. But, but what do the people do? So, so who is it that decides that they need to, to read the Scripture? The people asked for this reading. They recognized that they needed to understand the book of the law of Moses. And, and that was one of those things that, that as I was reading through this and digging into it, it, it just kept coming up to me over and over and over again. The people are the ones who realize their need. 
This wasn't that um, Ezra or Nehemiah or Zerubbabel, the, the governors, the leaders, the, the ones who were in charge, they said, hey, you guys need to get together and study God's word and you've got to figure... The people understood, we need the scriptures. We need to know what God has said. And so they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the law or to bring the book of the law of Moses. They had a, a desire. They wanted to know what has God said. They asked Ezra the scribe. Now, Ezra is going to be described in two different ways. There, there's two different titles, I'll call them, that are given to him. This is the first one, Ezra the scribe. Who knows what a scribe is? Someone who writes things down? Okay, the assistance of the Pharisees. In the New Testament, and this is one of those where we have to remember, okay, what are we studying? What are we looking at? In the New Testament, to be referred to as a scribe generally was not a positive thing. They didn't always do things the way that God wanted them done. But the word itself, the idea of a scribe, really, um, as you start studying out, what came to my mind was an accountant. It, it's actually referring to one who makes marks. And so they're the ones who track things. They write them down. And that, that idea is that they were very precise in writing down the law and making sure that they understood this is what it says. Okay? And so, yes? Matthew was a tax collector. <clears throat> yeah, no, he wasn't, he wasn't a scribe. He was a tax collector. He, he probably did write things down. But the, the idea of a scribe from the, the earlier time frame is one who writes it down. And so they, they were the recorders who, whatever the law that the, the king said, they wrote it down. Whatever the instructions that had to be sent out, they wrote it down. And so I mentioned um, when, we, when we briefly looked at Paul in 1 Timothy that not everyone could read. Reading and literacy today is vastly different than what it was in past times. And so not everyone could read. And so the scribe, their role, their responsibility was to write things down and then be able to read it back so that others would hear it. They would understand what it is. And so they called Ezra the scribe, emphasizing that fact that he is, he is the one who has written and has read. He should understand these things and be able to declare it to us. Now in verse 2, we're going to see him described a little bit differently. What does it say in verse 2 about who Ezra is? The priest. Now what is a priest? What does a priest do? Do what? Okay. In, in essence, he is the go-between between the people and God. And so he is the one that would, would do the offerings, bring the offerings before God. Obviously, this is the Old Testament. So God had instituted the priests, the descendants of Aaron, to be the ones that came into the temple and offered the, the sacrifices or that went to the people and brought the word of God back to them as well. He, the priest was the go-between. Now, real quick, before we continue on, do we need priests today? I, I see a few heads shaking, but let's, let's emphasize that. No. Why? Because Christ is the ultimate high priest. He is the go-between between us and God. He is God himself, and he has granted us direct access. So we don't need priests today. In this time, however, God had instituted that there would be priests who would be that go-between between God and man. 
And so, here we're, we're recognizing that Ezra is filling both of these roles. As that go-between, as the one that they, they recognize he's going to be speaking on God's behalf type of an idea, as well as he is going to read the law. He is going to read what God has given and what God has revealed. So the people asked Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Now, they recognize what they need. They don't need a man's ideas. They don't need Ezra to come up with his own stuff. They want Ezra to bring what God had given to them, what God had declared to Moses. And, and really, this is probably focusing on the book of Deuteronomy, but it's the, the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Bible. It's what the law and the instructions and the, the rules and regulations that God had given because the people... They're, they've come out of slavery, they've come out of captivity to Babylon, and they are now saying, we want to do things God's way. We want to understand what he has for us. So Ezra, please bring out the book of the law, which God has given to Israel. And so, verse 2, Ezra brought the law before the assembly. Who was there? Who was, who was part of the assembly? Everyone who could understand. Okay, everyone who could understand so it was just the men, right? Because only men can understand things. No? It, it was just the ladies because guys are kind of a little slow. No. It's the men and the women and all who could listen with understanding. Now, during Sunday school, we were talking about a, an idea of, is there a repeated phrase? Is there something, a phrase or a, a concept, an idea that comes up over and over again? Well, this is a phrase that's going to come up multiple times, this idea of understanding. And it's going to be a key thing to recognize in this passage. It's not just those who could hear it, but those who could understand it. That's what the focus is. That's what's going on. And we're going to see understanding come up multiple times. So the men and the women and all who could listen with understanding were there. And they gathered on the first day of the seventh month. Now, does anybody know what the first day of the seventh month is? <laughs> okay. For us, it's July 1st. For, but, but for the Jews, it was something else. It wasn't just a regular day of the month. This was leading into one of the festivals in which God had commanded all of the men to gather together to worship him. There were three of those festivals throughout the year. This is the last one during the year where God had called everybody to come together, all, all of the men to come together to Jerusalem. And so it makes sense that the guys would be there. But the people as a whole recognized what they needed was the scriptures. And so they all had gathered together. And they were all come to Jerusalem to hear the word of God proclaimed. And then we're, we're not going to get into it, but as you read through the remainder of chapter 8, you're going to find that they celebrate the Feast of Booths, and, and, or Tabernacles is another term for it, a recognition, a, a celebration of the fact that God had led them through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. And so they are going to celebrate that. Well, this is the start of that. This is, this is the lead up to it. And so th that's one of those where, okay, we read it and we say, okay, July 1st, and yet it was much more significant than that. It would be like for, for us, if someone says the 4th of July, 
we know that that's not just a particular day. That's a celebration of the start of our country. Well, when they hear the, the first day of the seventh month, they're recognizing this is the start of the celebration of when God led them through the wilderness, brought them to the promised land. Now, think for a moment. What's going on with all of that? They have just come back from captivity. God has yet again brought them into the promised land. So this is a very significant day for them. They have gathered together. They're getting ready to celebrate. And in in verse 3, Ezra, he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate. Now I mentioned when there's there's something that comes up multiple times, you, you probably ought to pay attention to it. And he's making sure that we recognize where they're at. They're at the square that is in front of the water gate. Why is he emphasizing that? It's a good question. I'm, I'm not positive because I'm not as familiar with the layout and the structure and, and how Israel was, was lined out. But for some reason, Ezra or Nehemiah wanted them to know this is exactly where it's taking place. And so he says it twice. But there's something else that he says twice, that, or for the second time here, in the presence of the men and the women, and all those who could understand. So he's emphasizing for us that idea that this isn't just a select group or just a few people. This is everybody, anyone who can understand. So at at what age do you think that they might have been for this? What, What age can kids start to understand things? Eight, ten, I saw five. I'm not sure. It doesn't specify. But the thing for us to to keep in mind is that this isn't just the old people. This isn't just the adults. This is probably including some teenagers and maybe even some small children. Anyone who could understand was there, was brought together for this. And so, uh, back to the beginning of verse 3, he read from it before the square. Now, this, this word for read is an interesting one. If you, if you dig into it, it has the idea of to call out, to cry aloud, like the, the town announcer. Or if you, if you think of American history, the, the paper salespeople, the little kids who would run around, you know, uh, what, what did they say? Headline, headline, or, or hear ye, hear ye. That kind of an idea is what's going on. That's, that's what it's saying. So not just that he, that he picked up the law and he sat down and he was, he was reading it to himself or maybe just barely reading it out loud and just enough. No, he's calling it out and letting them know, thus says the word of God, here's what's going on. He's making this announcement. He's reading from it in that location for how long? What does it say? From early morning until midday. That's basically from sun up until noon. Sun, sunrise till sun is high in the sky. That's, that's the idea. Probably about six hours. How, how many of you have ever sat and read the Bible for six hours straight? Through? It's, it's tough. That's hard. And yet, what, what do they do? They all gather, and end of verse 3, all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They, they put their ears to it, is the idea. Not, not that they put you know, literally their ear against it, but that they were paying attention. They were listening. They wanted to hear it. They wanted to understand it. They wanted to know what is God's law? What is God's instruction? So for roughly six hours, all morning long, that's what they did. They spent their time 
in listening to Ezra call out or read the scriptures. Now it says in verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which, had been, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood all of these people. Now I'll admit when I read through scripture, oftentimes I kind of skim over the names. I, I understand that because some of them are, are very difficult names. They're hard to pronounce. You don't see these folks coming up more. But the thing to recognize is that it probably wasn't just Ezra who read during that time frame, but he had all of these other people who were helping out. There were multiple readers. There were multiple individuals who were involved in this. But Ezra, as, as the leader, as the primary, was the one that they were focused on and that they were listening to. It says in verse 5 that Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. So let's, let's start off. He opened the book in the sight of all the people. What, what does that mean? What difference does that make? Well, for one thing, it's not hidden. He's not trying to, to be sneaky like, oh, well, this is, you know, only the elites can understand this. Only certain people, you have to be this, that, or the other. There are groups today that think that only certain people can understand the Bible. That only you, you have to have the right training or degrees or, or be inducted into or, or this or that or whatever. And yet, he's making this very public. In front of everybody, he's opening the book so that they can hear as he reads, this is what God says. Not what I have to say, but what God has to say. And then um, he opens the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. That's not to say that he is elevated and a more important person or anything like that. It's a practical thing. He was positioned in a way so that everyone could hear. He wanted people to be able to know this is what God's word says. So he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Does that mean that when uh, somebody reads from the Bible, you have to immediately stand? No, no, definitely not. Why would they, why would they stand, though? What's going on there? Reverence. It's, it's an act of respect. We have those same kinds of things in our culture today. Now, our culture has kind of gone away from a lot of them, but there are still vestiges of terms of respect, movements of respect. In the military, there's still the, the salute. And that's, that's not saying, hey, you're the most awesome, wonderful guy ever. It's saying, hey, I respect the rank, and I honor that. Um, today, when you hear the national anthem, Generally speaking, most people are respectful enough to stand up. That's not saying that, oh, the country is perfect and never does anything wrong. It's saying, hey, I am, I am thankful because God has blessed me to live in this country, and I respect it. They stood as a sign of respect, as an act of respect for what they were doing. And then, verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. This idea of, of blessed the Lord, um, it's, it's a fascinating one. If, you're, if you ever are just looking for something to study through the Old Testament, look at this word blessed, this idea of blessed. There's, there's a lot going on with it. But in, in this context, what, what's happening is Ezra is praising God. Ezra is recognizing how awesome God is, how worthy of respect God is. And, and Ezra is drawing everyone's attention, not to himself as the reader, but to God as the author of God's word. And he is praising him and he is encouraging the others to praise him as well. And, and he recognizes that he is the great God. 
This, this isn't just some other deity, some lesser being, some you know, idol or thing of that nature. No, he is, he is emphasizing we are standing in respect of, we are studying the word of, we are giving praise and glory and honor to the, the magnificent God, the overwhelming God, the greatest of all, the one true God. And all the people answered, Amen. They, they let their agreement be known. And that, that's really all that amen is. It's just a, an agreement to what God has said. And they did that while lifting up their hands, and they bowed low, and they worshiped God. And so they go through these movements that are just their way of, of showing that reverence and that awe and that respect of who God is, of what he has said, of the accuracy of his word, of the, the reliability and worthiness of reverence and awe. Now, does that mean that when we read Scripture, we have to stand up and we have to put our arms in the air? No, but that's the way in which they did displayed that or made that known. Does that mean that we have to bow down and, and put, put our knees on the floor, kneel, when we read it? No, same thing. Those are all movements that made, meant or that indicated that they cared about what they were listening to, that they recognized the importance of it, that they were in awe of who God was, that they were praising him and worshiping him. So how, how are some ways that we do that type of a thing? How do we display our worship of God? When we read God's word, do we take it flippantly or do we recognize its importance? Do we make it a significant thing or do we just kind of yeah, listen to it in one ear, out the other, and don't worry about it. Or when, when someone reads Scripture out loud, do our ears perk up? Do we look at it, pay attention, or look at our own copy and follow along and make sure that we, we understand what's being said, what's being talked about? These are, are just normal, I'll say cultural-type actions that they take to display the inward heart attitude that they have towards what's going on. They worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. That was the way in which they showed honor and respect and reverence. They bowed in worship to who God was. It then lists out several more individuals. These, this is a different group of men, but more people who were involved in this process. And they, they were the Levites. And what was the job of the Levites? Does anybody remember from Old Testament? Take care of the temple. To take care of the temple. They were holy to God. Okay. They were set apart for God's purposes to take care of the things that God had given to them. They had responsibilities, kind of um, the structure and the, the facilities and taking care of the tabernacle and then ultimately the temple. They not having any possessions. Do what? They didn't, weren't able to have any possessions. They, yeah, they also didn't have a, an inheritance um, um, in the land the way that the rest of them were. Their, their job, their responsibility was the things of God. That's what they did. And so this group of the Levites, what did they do in verse 7? It says that they explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. So what's, what's just happened is the scribe, the reader, has spent the entire morning reading what the law is, reading what God's word said. And he wasn't allowed to then just be in one ear, out the other, all right, we, we showed up, we listened, and that's it. That's all there is to it. 
No, they explained it. They wanted them to understand. I mentioned that, that this word for understanding comes up multiple times. Well, this is the same idea. They made it understandable is the idea that's being presented with this explain the law. So everyone who was capable of understanding was there. And these Levites made sure that they did understand. That it wasn't just in one ear, out the other, that's all there is to it. But that it actually hit the gray matter in between so that they would know this is what God has said. This is what God intends them to know, to understand about his word. They explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. I mentioned earlier that it says that the people asked for, they wanted the reading. Well, they could have just stood up and left. Been done. Oh, that's enough. I'm, I'm tired. It's noon. I'm ready to go. I'm finished. And yet, they stayed where they were. Now, there, there are some translations will say that they stood in their place. I, I don't think that the idea is that they were standing all day long. Could they have? Yes, it's, it's possible. But the, the idea is not that they were standing throughout all of this as much as that they remained where they were. They didn't go home. They didn't leave. They wanted to hear, what does the Bible say? What does the, the scriptures say? What does God expect of us? And what do I do with that? What difference does that make? And so they, they heard the reading, and they heard the understanding. And then verse 8 kind of summarizes all of that together. They read from the book of the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. That kind of wraps it all up, brings it all together. The whole point, the whole purpose, was not just that they, they read it and they felt good about showing up and now it's time to go home and, and go about our own festivities. The whole point, the whole desire, was that they come together and hear God's word and understand it. And then the rest of this passage kind of talks about what they did as a result. They, they began to follow it. They began to do what God had commanded. Now, let's go back to the very beginning when we started talking about uh, Nehemiah. When they, when they first got going, why were they kicked out of the land? Why were they taken into captivity by Babylon? Because they had disobeyed God. And now they have come back and they recognize. And this is the amazing thing about what God does and the, the way that God operates. God's punishment isn't to wipe them out. It's to draw them back to himself. And so what's happening here? God has drawn them back to himself. And the people recognize that. And they have a desire to hear what God has said. And they want to implement it. And there are other people who come alongside Ezra as he reads it. They come alongside and they help in that process of reading it and then explaining it so they're able to understand. And the people, they had said, amen, amen. We agree. We want what you're saying to be true for us, to be true in our lives. So what? What do we do with this passage? Well, like I said, I, I want to take a little bit longer on the so what today than I normally do. Because there's a lot that we can draw from this. I made the emphasis that, that Nehemiah is narrative. It's not commanding us in the same way that Paul was. Paul is giving a direct command, give attention to, 
and, and he's talking to a pastor, he's talking to a preacher, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. And that's what he's saying. You need to do this. In Nehemiah, we're having a record of what, what occurred, what happened. But when we draw from that, when we, when we learn from that, when we take that idea of so what, what, what do I do with this? We recognize these are a group of people who understood who God was, that he was important, that he was the great God, that there's none that compares to him, and that when he has given his word, we need to learn from it. We need to understand it. We need to take that and apply it. And they were willing to, to hear that explanation and do something about it. So what about us? If we are followers of Christ, if we claim to be Christians, we ought to have that same idea, that same mindset, that same desire. I want to hear God's word. I want to understand God's word. I want it explained. I want to apply it. I want to use it. Are we willing to take the time and the effort that's necessary for that? I, I started off asking uh, about this idea of, of reading scripture and setting off with a plan as you go into the new year. How many of you intend to read God's word this year? At least portions of it, chunks of it. I, I hope every hand, or, or at least 90%, I understand some kids can't read yet, but I hope that you have that desire. But what's it going to take? What, what is it going to take to be able to do that? To have the same attitude, the same mindset that we just see displayed there? Well, for one thing, there has to be an intentionality to it. You have to decide, this is what I'm going to do. All of these people, they had traveled, they had worked hard, they had labored, and, and they gathered, they assembled, they put forth the effort to be there, to hear God's word. One of the things that I have found personally in my own life is I have to go back to the why. Why am I reading the Bible? Why do I want to read through the Bible in a year? Well, sometimes it's, it's really easy to think, well, because that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, any good Christian ought to read through the Bible. And, and really, if you only take it as, well, that's what I ought to do, it's probably not going to go well. I ought to exercise every day, and I don't do that. I ought to eat better. I ought to drink less coffee. I ought to, ought to's don't do me a whole lot of good. So why should we read the Bible? What difference does it make? Yes, sir. We should be wanting to read the Bible always and for until he returns. And yeah. then, I don't you know, we may have new upgraded Bibles. <laughs> it, it needs to not be an ought to, but a want to. Okay? But, but why should we want to? Yes? It brings us closer to God all the time. Well, we're communing with Him daily that way. And because we love Him. Because we love Him? Because we understand that He is God? Because we recognize that it is the truth? Because we know the value that it has for our lives? As we have that understanding of what is scripture, I, I quoted part of a memory verse already, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We want to understand the Bible so that we can be who God wants us to be. If we claim to be Christians, claim to be followers of Christ, we, we should want to understand what does he say? What has he revealed to us? 
what am I supposed to do as a result of that? And that's exactly what these, these folks in Nehemiah did. They recognized it wasn't just about following through a festival or going through the steps or being a part of this assembly. They, they desired to hear the word of God because apparently they understood that it was important, that it was valuable. They had come out of bondage in Babylon to reassemble, to become who God wanted them to be. And a great revival was at, at work in their lives because they knew we need to know what God has for us. We need to understand what he has revealed to us. So they had that desire. They wanted to hear God's word. They wanted to understand it. Well, then the question kind of comes to my mind, well, how do I do that then? So if, if I want to understand the Bible, if I want to read the Bible, sometimes we come to it and, and we're starting out into a new year. And, you know, just like the, those who say, well, my New Year's resolution is to work out every day and lose weight. All right? How? What am I, I going to do? And I have to develop a plan. I have to come up with some idea of, of what I'm going to do. So when it comes to reading the Bible, what plan do you have to be able to implement this? You're saying, well, yeah, yeah, of course. I'm a Christian. Of course I want to read the Bible. Of course I see the value in it. I want to. But what are you going to do? How are you going to go about doing that? Now, there are all kinds of options available. There are lots of study Bibles that are really good. There are lots of just straight text Bibles that are really good. There are online programs that will give you daily reminders and, and things that you can set even on your phone that will, will pop up and say, hey, have you read scripture today? And, and there are great plans. If you're not sure what plan to implement, I, I will give you two suggestions right now. And if you have more questions, by all means, I would love to talk to you about how to figure it out. Back on the back wall, there's a yellow little thing that's just 30 days of scripture reading. Because sometimes the hardest part is just getting started. And that 30 days, you make a commitment, hey, for 30 days I'm going to get it. Instead of saying, oh, for the next 365, and then I'm going to fall off like I normally do and not do it. 30 days is a good start. Another one, the one that I personally use, is actually from the Navigators. And it's a through the Bible in a year, but it divides it up. So that you're not just reading... And, and most people, if they're being honest, get bogged down somewhere around Numbers or Leviticus. It gets hard. And I, I understand that. And so this plan breaks it up so that you're reading an Old Testament and a Gospel and a New Testament and a Psalm. All, you know, a portion of each throughout the day. So that you've got multiple. Um, you can decide, hey, I'm going to go long sections. Or you can very easily just say, you know what, I'm going to read... 10 verses a day. And I'm going to start with the Gospel of John. And I'm going to read 10 verses, and then 10 verses, and then 10 verses. And that is a way better start than just saying, well, you know, I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to, the, there's an old phrase, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Well, how do you read the Bible? One bite at a time. What, whatever it is, however you choose to do that, I want to encourage you to make a plan. And figure out, okay, this is what I'm going to do to be able to do this. In Nehemiah, they didn't have their own copy. And that's why they had to get Ezra to read to them. Not everyone could read. Not everyone had their own copy. We are in a vastly different situation. I'm going to guess that everyone, in fact, I had you raise your hands a little bit ago, didn't I? 
But how many of you have one Bible, two Bibles, three Bibles, five Bibles, however many it is? If nothing else, how many of you have either have a computer or have access to a computer or a, a smartphone? There are apps that will give you not just one, but hundreds of versions, which obviously then brings up the next question, well, which version should I read? Well, um, you want to discuss versions? I would love to have that conversation. Personally, uh, I, I have decided for this next year, I'm, I'm planning to use two. I'm going to be reading from two versions that I haven't really read through a whole lot before. Um, I actually, as a Christmas present, I got a Bible that I'm really, really excited about. I was so thankful for it. Um, and it's a study Bible. So it has a lot of notes in it, and it's really cool. And I'm, that's my plan to read that one. But I also uh, have started using the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible. And I am not saying that you need to go out and buy your own copy of this. All right? I, I, I want you to understand that. When I, when I read, when I'm preaching, I'm still using the NASB. That's what most of us are familiar with and used to. The LSB takes the NASB 95 and continues the tradition. So it's, a, it's an update of that. So if you want to have, you, you want to understand more about the Legacy Standard Bible, definitely talk to me. I'd, I'd love to sit down and talk to you about versions and which one to use and things of that nature. The key is make your plan and figure out, okay, I'm going to take this Bible and I'm going to read through it. And I'm, I'm going to do my, write, my reading and I'm going to make my notes along the way. Another, another very helpful thing that I have found uh, that works well for me when I'm doing my, my scripture reading is to not just try and read it, but to listen to it as well. And again, there are lots of options for that. And well, why? What, what's the, the point of listening? Well, I think that that's one of the things that's going on with Nehemiah as well. It's being declared. It's being called out to them. It's being announced. And the Word of God historically has always been announced to people. It's, it's a new thing. It's a rare thing just in the last few hundred years that people actually had their own copy that they could read for themselves. And historically, a lot of people would still read out loud because there's something about hearing things that sets it in our minds a lot better than just seeing the words on the paper. So personally, I like to not only have a hard copy, but also listen to it audibly. It helps me pay attention. It helps me keep focused. Again, what I'm saying is you need to have a plan of how am I going to read Scripture? How am I going to make that a bigger, more significant part of my day, of my week, of my life? If we recognize that the Word of God is important and valuable and significant, is it worth putting forth a little bit of effort to do? Yes, most definitely. In Nehemiah, we see these individuals who have come together. They, they have a desire to hear Scripture. And so they, they do. But the leaders then don't just say, okay, here's what it says, and leave it there. They make sure that there's understanding that goes with it. So my last so what in connection with this is... Don't just read it to read through and get done with your, your thing, but make sure that you're understanding it. One of, the, one of the things I love about our Sunday nights when the men get together is that there are some of the men who bring their questions. They've been reading through Scripture. It may be completely different than anything that we looked at in Sunday school or during a sermon or anything else, but they were reading, and they came to something like, wait a minute, 
that doesn't make sense. So they write down a question, and they bring it, and we have an opportunity then to, to gather together and discuss it and come to an understanding of it. If, if you're not currently involved in something, some group where you get together with other believers, and you can raise those questions. The ladies have a ladies' Bible study. Um, they have the ladies' luncheon. The men have a couple of opportunities. We have Friday morning breakfasts. We have Sunday evening discipleship. There are lots of opportunities. If you need help with that, again, please, by all means, let me know. We'll figure out some time that we can sit down and go through things. Every now and then, I, I'll get a phone call. I'm like, hey, I, I had this question. And somebody gives me a question. And I, I love it. It's great. We need to not just have it go in one ear and out the other, or in through our eyes and just gone. That we read it. We actually understand it. Sometimes that's challenging. Sometimes that's difficult. I, I, I get that. I have worked for a lot of years to, to study through and to read and to understand. And there, there are still things where I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Why, why is it saying this? Or how, why, what's going on there? If you've got questions, by all means, study them. Find a way to come to an understanding about what it is. So, all of that, I, in, in, the, in the title, I call this the reading of scripture, public and private. And for the most part, I've really only dealt with the so what of what is the private reading of scripture. One thing that I do intend to start as we, as we go into the new year, you'll notice when I preach, I always read what the passage is that we're going to be doing. Well, I want to challenge you. And I'm, I'm going to actually start off with the ones who come on Wednesday nights. Um, on Wednesday nights, we always read out a bunch of passages. And I have different people reading it. What we're going to start doing on Sunday mornings is I'm going to have somebody else read the passage. And so not everybody's really comfortable getting up in front of others and reading out. But I want to ask you, are you willing to be used by God, to use your voice, your skills, your abilities, and allow Him to use you to read his word. And now, now notice I'm saying to read his word. I'm not saying to preach it. I'm not saying to exposit it or to discuss it or anything else. But just to come up and read, this is what God's word says. As we go into the new year, one of the things that I want to do is have other people read God's word for us. And so each, each week, like I said, I'm going to start off by asking some of the ones who come on Wednesday nights. But if there are others who are willing to read, by all means, come talk to me. Let me know that you're at least willing. And I'm going to put together the schedule so that we can have somebody else read God's Word in preparation. And during, during the introduction or the start of the, the service, we're going to read God's Word. We're going to take some time and just read what it says. And then, later on, I'm going to preach afterwards. And we'll, we'll read it. We'll go ahead and sing some more. And then... Uh, I will preach about that passage. And sometimes, like today, there are multiple passages that we're looking at, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. So sometimes it will be a limited one. But I wanted to, to give you a heads up. That's one of the things. I think that it's very, very important that we understand God's Word is meant to be heard and understood. It's not just this thing that we have to do because, oh, well, I'm a Christian, therefore I must read through the Bible every year because that's what you have to do. No. No, we, have, we ought to have a want to, to hear God's word, to read God's word, to understand God's word, to make God's word a part of our life, a part of who we are, and then allow it to change our actions and 
what we do. But it starts with reading of it. So, as you head into the new year, I want to encourage you, find a way, develop a plan that you're going to read God's Word, that you're going to hear God's Word. Whether that's coming in every Sunday, that's a great start. But just like the meal, the, the, if you ever eat a meal, do you only eat one meal a week? I know I don't. I, I like my two, three a day. Maybe four, a couple of snacks, a little bit extra. God's Word is our food. It is our spiritual foods that we learn and understand. And if you only show up to hear it once a week, that's not mine. Because you need God's Word to sustain you, to give you strength, to give you ability to function, so that you can know what it is that He wants. In the book of Nehemiah, the people had failed to follow through on God's commands. And that's what got them in trouble. We as a people, we as a nation, so often get away from God's Word. I want to encourage you as you head into the next year, spend time in God's Word. Find a way. Develop a plan. Oh, one more thing. I almost forgot. And I, I, I was about to close, but this one's important. This one's important. Have you ever... Um, decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out, I'm going to develop a plan, you get your plan, you get everything together, you go and you start, and then you feel kind of lazy the next time, and a little more lazy, and then eventually, what helps to avoid that? Accountability. Having someone else. So, when you have your plan, when you figure out, hey, this is what I'm going to do in this upcoming year, I want to encourage you, tell somebody else, and tell them, hey, I give you permission to call me out on this. Every time I see you on Sunday, ask me, did you read your Bible like you said you were going to? Now, that can be challenging, and that can be a little difficult. It's not to make you feel bad about not doing it. It's very, very helpful having someone else know, hey, I'm, I'm working on this, I'm trying to do it, but I can't do it alone. I need some encouragement. I need some accountability. So, whatever your plan is for the upcoming year, I want to encourage you, spend time in God's Word. Spend time with God's people, helping you to learn it, to understand it, and to apply it. Because God gave us His Word because it is profitable. It is useful for all of those things. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your Word. Lord, it is an amazing gift that we overlook so often and so easily. When we, when we pause and recognize that there was this group who, who came to understand that they needed your word, and they were willing to stand all day, basically, to hear it, to learn it, to understand it. Lord, I personally am convicted when I wear out after five or ten minutes of just trying to read it. Lord, help us to love your word, to desire it, to recognize that it, it is our food that it is what gives us strength and sustenance to live for you. And I pray that, that we would develop a love and a passion for your word, that it wouldn't just be something that we do because we ought to, but because we want to, because we understand that your word is life. It gives us an understanding of who you are and what you've done and what you desire. And Lord, as a result, may we praise and glorify and worship you because you alone are God. You alone are worthy. Thank you, Lord, for your word. 
Thank you for what you do in our lives. Help us to submit to you, to be conformed to the image of your Son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.